Let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, a longtime jazz assistant coach. He's our good friend, Coach Cordy Chiesa. Coach, what's going on? Guys, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on, as always, Coach. If for no other reason, we get to hear a little Redbone. That's always good. Oh, very much. One of my favorite songs back in 1974, in case you're wondering. Love it. Absolutely love it. Hey. It will always remind me of you, Coach. Thank you. Gordy, can I ask you a question? We just talked with Chris Mannix about this uh, because he's he covers boxing. Sure. But when, when you just mentioned 1974, uh, I was talking to Jake about today's the 50th anniversary of that Muhammad Ali smoking Joe Frazier fight. Yes. And and I remember that so clearly when that happened. I mean, it, it seems like the sports world was absolutely on the edge of its seat. Do you recall that clearly? Very much. I was back in 1971. It was in the Garden, meaning yeah. Massaway Garden, and uh, at that time, boxing was huge, especially the heavyweights. And Muhammad Ali was a was an incredible boxer, and Joe Frazier was uh, was very much to the task also. So, with an unbelievable great rivalry, almost very similar to Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, in that vernacular. Coach Chies is with us on ninety-seven five and twelve. It is on. Let me ask you this, Coach: Does do you like watching an all-star game because i got to imagine the coach in you is bothered by the style of play but the appreciator of basketball in you probably loves the high-flying nature very much yeah i know i enjoy it it's really it's an elite pickup game that's what it is so it's an exhibition game for the players and the fans and so you know there's very little defense i get it i understand it and so the players are really showcasing their legs and their skills and we saw that in yesterday with, with Giannis showing everybody uh, about how talented he is. And also it was uh, reminding people how great Stephen Curry is and, and how great former Weaver State uh, uh, sensational player Damon Lillard. So someone asked you, what are the three takes from that game? Was Giannis, was Giannis and uh, Stephen Curry and, um, and Damian, but with the sentimental part with Michael Conley making the all-star team for the first time in 14 years. So that was special for him, too. Gordy, how do you think uh, Damian Lillard and Steph Curry that you mentioned there, if they had shown up in the early 80s in the NBA, I, I, I wonder how coaches would have responded to them given their remarkable ability to hit those deep shots. I mean, that, that just wasn't... Uh, that was kind of frowned upon back in the day, wasn't it? Very much, yeah. So the so the listeners right now, twelve eight of the zone, the three point shot really came into vogue fifteen years ago. That's when all the teams really emphasized it, and now it's to the uh, ultra form of it, and that's great. But back in the eighties and early nineties, it was more of a grind out game, and also it was uh, more physicality. So Demid Lilly. And, uh, excuse me, and uh, Stephen Curry, those guys have unbelievable ball skills. So besides the shooting range, which is literally uh, 37 feet, which they're snapping that wrist, what's, what makes them so special is how great they are as a dribbler. The only guy I can remember that could shoot like that with that range but off the dribble would be um, Mark Price. He was the only guy that I could get paired to in that era with that unbelievable pull-up jump shot from deep range, like 25 feet. But everyone else was basically more of a three-point shooter, but not with, but not with that distance. Coach, uh, give us a couple of expectations you have for this Jazz Club in the uh, second half of the season. 
Well, right now, they're the best record in basketball and the best record at home, 15-2. and two. So they're protecting their home court. The last few games has been interesting. They slipped defensively. And that's what they know that. And so now I'm sure in practice starts that they're going to address it. They're going to try to go back into a very sound defensive team. Jake and Gordon, the last four games, the Jazz are allowing defensively 123.1 points per game. Their regular season average before that was 107.8, which puts them fourth best in the NBA. So in that three to four game uh, skid, now one of the, I get it, one of those games was overtime. I understand that. But the Jazz have been outscored by 15 points, whether that being outscored or out, they couldn't guard the opposing team. So looking forward to the Jazz second half, their defense has to remain strong, which it will, and they've got to figure out uh, how to um, keep using their bench. So they're only nine deep. They're nine deep right now, which is good. And those nine guys are good. But we know that the Jazz have been relatively injury-free. So, for example, C.J. McCollum has missed more games from the Portland Trailblazers than the whole Jazz nine-player rotation. So just one guy on the Trailblazers, who and those that guys are overachieving, meaning Portland. So we know that. There might be an injury, whoever it might be, and that someone's got to really uh, even go a further role or add somebody to help the Jazz as they try to be the best record in basketball. Gordy, teams are going after Boyan Bogdanovich at the Jazz's defensive end. What can they do to help alleviate that? Yeah, very much. So what happens is that he's getting beat, which is really surprising, even on bully ball. So there's one thing getting beat, Gordon, off the dribble because you're, you're slow-footed slightly and your stance is um, inconsistent. But the most recent games, they've been trying to post him up and he's, they've been backing down. He's a strong guy. So he's got a better technique, either at the, uh, at the point of contact, maybe at the point of pickup, as far as giving a cushion on perimeter, but in the mid post where he should excel at, he has to be more physical and use his offhand to flick at the dribble to make the offensive player be more protective versus in a strike mode. Let's add to that. Donovan Mitchell, like, like always, pick and roll defense is paramount in a team's success. The Jazz lead the NBA in pick and roll offense as far as the most times in a game executing a ball screen. The flip side is that the Jazz have. Jazz, have to improve themselves defensively. So whether you tight switch it, whether you play center field, whether you go over or under, they can get better by playing pick-and-roll defense. So Bondanovich, he has to get better himself. So does Joe Ingles, so does Donovan Mitchell, and, and, really, and so does um, uh, Michael Conley. Royce Hill has been terrific, and so has been Rudy. So, so has been Rudy. Jake, can I follow, can I follow that up? Uh, I, I, how, I've heard Jake oftentimes say, Gordy, talk about players who get – they, they, they hide them on defense. How do you hide a player? Well, you would hide them by playing zone. So the Dallas Mavericks, sometimes they hide Luka Dantich. And before that, was yesteryear, was Dirk Nowitzki. Now, uh, old school Hoosier 2-3 zone is effective in the NBA some of the time. But as the, as the players realize it, suddenly just dribble drive to the basket and it's parting in the Red Sea. So you can protect the player by playing zone, if not zone out of bounds. But the reality is that it's got to be mono mono. The way you, the way if you're slow footed, so much is the point of pickup of where you pick up either to stop the ball or where do you put you put your chest numbers on numbers to slow down the player you're guarding. 
So that's, that's, that's the best way to do it, to hide somebody. Coach, Rudy Gobert, the way he plays um, is not necessarily his, his – let me put it this way. His value isn't necessarily translated into statistics all the time, right? You, you know, they don't count how many guards get into the paint and turn around and run away as soon as they see him. You know, it's it, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Given that, uh, do you think he'll ever get the love, the appreciation nationally that uh, he certainly feels he deserves? No. Because the people that are doing the voting or doing the commentary, they don't value uh, how impactful defensive players are. And by the way, Rui's averaging 14.2 points per game. So if you want to say, oh, that guy's averaging 6.7 points per game, you could make that narrative and say he can't score. But Rudy can finish around the basket, especially when they go that, that a lob, lob pass central, I call it, when Joe Ingles uh, penetrates and throws a lob pass to Rudy and short corner spacing. So... Unfortunately, Jake and Gordon, many of my brothers in the NBA and in the media don't recognize the impactful parts of defensive players or guys that move the ball. A huge factor also besides Rudy is that he's a great screen setter. So Rudy sets the, uh, the NBA, uh, him and uh, Sabonis, both of them are, are really great uh, screen setters, and that gives Donovan and Michael Conley and the Joe Ingles daylight to penetrate and to make plays. So it's very valued being a, being a shot blocker, shot alternator, but also as a, as a, a viable screener. So, Gordy, you mentioned Jordan Clarkson uh, maintaining his high level of play. How, how does one accomplish that? Because it seems like at some point, doesn't the law of averages equal out a little bit? Or is there something that he is doing that he can continue to do in order to, to, to play the way he has been, his best season ever? Ever, right. He's having right now 17.9 points per game. He's the runaway person for the rookie, excuse me, for the uh, for the sixth man of the year with probably Terrence Ross of the Magic being probably second. That should be the voting. If the, the, media, the media votes on that award, what he does incredible is that um, he's a ball striker. Where he gets the ball in the second side of the floor, and he can strike either go over the top of the jump shot or finish in a dribble penetration. Also, he's a great foul shooter. People don't realize he's shooting 96.7 from the foul line, 58 for 60, and so that is incredible. And he'd be number one in the NBA if he had more attempts. So is that he can keep it up because the way the Jazz are structured, they absolutely need him, and he has delivered for them, and his teammates respect his game, and that he absolutely shoots forward, never backwards, and that's what you want to do for a sixth man. And he makes the Jazz a unique team and a really uh, absolutely uh, 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 contender for NBA championship because teams don't have guys like him off the bench that are able to come in and and quick start ready to shoot versus get themselves into the flow of the game. Coach, what did you think about uh, Rudy Donovan and, to a lesser extent, Michael Conley going scorched earth on the referees after the Philadelphia 76ers game? Yeah, it was disappointing in the sense that there were some tough calls. It was a physical game. Uh, by the way, that uh, Jake, the 76ers lead the NBA in most free throws attempted per game. So it wasn't like it was surprising with Joel Embiid's first in the NBA in uh, shooting three throws and then put in there Tobias Harris and that game was backing down. So Rudy and uh, and um, and Donovan 
there was a, a, a level of frustration. There were some calls that went against them, unfortunately. But that's almost like playoff basketball. I'm going to view it as a, as a, a situation, Jake, that it gets them ready for um, the second half of the season where there'll be maybe lesser calls, especially on the road. So, so here's the reality, Jake. Next week, the Jazz play uh, and the Celtics in Boston. Good team. Jazz are good. The Celts are good. Marcus Smart's been injured. He's coming back probably next, uh, probably right now. So suddenly, Marcus Smart's going to be, uh, be guarding uh, Donovan Mitchell, and Marcus Smart's a very good defensive physical player. So if I'm Donovan, I'm going to learn from that, and I'm going to get myself ready to go and be able to finish through contact. So the answer is I'm looking at it uh, from a different viewpoint is that thanks for not giving us the call because now we, it woke us up and we're ready for the second half. So, Gordy, do you think there is some sort of attitude by the refs toward the Jazz? I'm not talking about a conspiracy. That's a distinction Jake kept wanting to make. I'm talking about just an attitude by some of the some of the refs that uh, you know they don't have to they don't have to kowtow to the Jazz the way they do some players some teams. Okay, I think it was just more of an isolated, very highly emotional and intense game. So, for example. Just say, Jake, for the narrative, just say that Joel Embiid didn't make that unbelievable three-point shot against Boyan Bondanovich to tie the score. Just say that shot was missed. Would Rudy and Donovan say the referees, what, didn't give, didn't give us calls? Coach Chies is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coach, this is a, a question about the Nets here, but Gordon and I have kind of been batting about this today. Um, you know, the Nets don't appear to be much of a defensive club. And we were trying to remember, when was the last, if ever, NBA champion that didn't play defense or that was bad at defense? Not average, but bad at defense, and if it's ever happened. Can you think of any? No, because even the lesser teams – they, they're offensive-minded, but they would play defense. Yeah. In this scenario, the it's really the, they're really uh, absolutely a porous on defense. But, by the way, they're first in the NBA in scoring. Yep. And they're really good. Yeah, they're no, really good. And, <laughs> and now they're getting Blake Griffin as their fifth man or sixth man at a, um, a marginal uh, contract, meaning uh, half, half of the NBA veteran minimum. So it's $1.28 uh, million for the, for, for basically for a, a six-month rental. And that he's going to give them a lift. Now, now he's he's had career lows this year, but it's amazing. Like anything, situation in whether in life, you get a second chance in season or in school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, fill the blanks in your career, and that you get rejuvenated. So with the the Nets, they're saying philosophically, we're going to try to absolutely outscore you in every single playoff game, and that there'll be an element of defense. And it's ironically, you know, the the main guys really don't defend well, but they have some guys in their team that actually are good defensive players. One of being DeAndre Jordan, and also a guy named Bruce Brown. Those two those two guys really actually try to play defense, and they've been very good for them. Gordy, I'm so glad you answered the question the way you did because Jake and I were absolutely we couldn't we couldn't remember a team we we couldn't we couldn't we we searched through our memory banks and couldn't remember a team and if you can't remember one then that uh, makes me feel a little bit better. If I were to ask you this though, let you are a head coach in the NBA and I can give you a team that's absolutely locked down defend, defenders, just great at the defensive end. Or a high-scoring offensive show, which 
team would you pick? Are we playing for the championship? That's my. Just give me one more, one more uh, caveat of that. Let's say, let's say playoff uh, situations. I would take the team offensively, and the reason why is that usually, even if you have so many unbelievable scores, like say the Nets do, even if someone's struggling or that. The rival guarding, say, Kevin Durant is really guarding him absolutely well. He's being physical with, with technique. They could swing the ball over to Curry Irving, and he can break down anybody in the world off the dribble, and, you know, or they can give the ball to James Harden, who's playing absolutely great. And by the way, Joe, Joe Harris leads the NBA in three-point shooting. And if you want to fight Joe Harris in a game, just, go, just look in the corners. So I would lean towards offense in that scenario. But to be a true champion and uh, be consistent, you have to have offense, especially in the fourth quarter. Because the last five minutes of a playoff game, even though the defense is so uh, incredibly uh, powerful, you score most of your points below the foul line extended. So the ability to drive the ball and get to the foul line to make three throws. And that's what makes uh, uh, teams that score uh, points, they score, I call it, tough points, which not finesse. In playoff games in the last five minutes, you, it's most of the points are tough points. Coach, I understand you have an all-star related list for us today. I do, Jake. I've been thinking about the all-star game, and, and, and for the listeners right now, let's not forget, the Jazz are hosting, meaning Salt Lake City, in conjunction with the Utah Jazz, the 2023 all-star game, which will be the third anniversary of the 1993 game where John and Carl were the MVPs, uh, co-MVPs of that game. So with this list, Jake and Gordon, is the NBA most popular jerseys to start this season as of December 31st, 2020. So it's a baker's dozen. And the learning point about this when I did this list was that all 13 players on this list went played in the playoffs last season, and some of them were champions, and some of them went deep in the playoffs. So a, a, a huge factor in selling quote, your jersey globally if the eyeballs in the playoffs see you play often. All right, number 13, we all love him. He's from Serbia, from the, from the Nuggets, Nikolai Jokic, number 15. Number 12, from the Brooklyn Nets now, Kyrie Irving. His jersey number is number 11. Number 11, from the Celtics, Kembe Walker, which is surprising, which shows you that he's, he's, a, he's a performer in the playoffs. He wears jersey number eight, in case you're, you're, you're a junkie there. Number 10. This, number 10 from the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, who wears number 22. The ninth best-selling jersey in the NBA. From the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, he wears number two. Number eight, from Weaver State, via Trailblazers, Damian Lillard, he wears zero. Number seven, from the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, he wears number uh, seven, ironically. All right, number six, he won yesterday the three-point shooting contest over Michael Conley, where he, he performed incredible. From the Golden State Warriors, Stephen Curry, he wears number 30. Number five, from the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he wears number 34. Number four, best-selling jersey from the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum wears number zero. Number three, from the L.A. Lakers, he wears, ironically also, he wears jersey number three, Anthony Davis. All right, number two, he's from Slovenia, 
maybe the best young player in the NBA, Luka Dantage, and how crazy is this, Jake and Gordon? He wears number 77. You got to love that one. And number one, we all know him for a long, long time, the number one jersey seller in the NBA, number 23 from the L.A. Lakers, LeBron James. Quickly, the, the best-selling jersey of all time in NBA history, we all know him, from Chicago Bulls, number 23, Michael Jordan. Coach, I know we're up against it a little bit, but I did want to ask you really quick because this has been a tough story and we haven't talked about it a ton today, but the Jazz family lost a member, a longtime massage therapist, uh, Doug Burrell, passed away at the age of 51. The news kind of surfaced uh, yesterday, but uh, I would imagine you had some uh, experience with Doug. He was a pretty neat guy. Yes, he was. For the listeners, Doug Burrell, he came to the Jazz. Uh, he was formerly Carl Malone's uh, personal massage therapist, and then Carl brought him with him to the Utah Jazz uh, in the uh, in the uh, middle 90s. And that re- he really helped the group. And we were all saddened by losing, uh, losing him way, way too early right now. I knew him very well. I respected him. He did a great job. And he always had a smile on his face. Yeah. He was always happy uh, talking to people. And I'm sad saying this, and I, I just wish the whole family uh, my condolences. Yeah, here, here, Coach. Thank you very much, Coach Chia. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Peace out. There you go. Our favorite coach, Coach Gordy Chiesa, jumps on with us on Mondays here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up right around the corner, we've got drop of the day. Quick tease, Gordon. You know, everybody's into bad beats. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, kind of a gambling term, but bad beats. Okay. This has got to be one of the worst beats I've ever seen. (laughs) All right? Okay. How's that for a tease coming up? Yeah, I like it. Uh, did you, like real quick, uh, before we, we jump out to Matt, did you have any experience uh, with Doug? Uh, that was such a surprise to see that news yesterday. Uh, you know, if you uh, are around practices and games and things with the Jazz, he was a, a familiar face, always smiling and such a, a nice human. I just know that many, many members of the Jazz family love the guy. Yep. Absolutely love the guy. Rudy sent out a, a really nice picture with the two of them with matching shirts. I thought that that was a, a kind of a, a an upbeat um, tribute to him. And yeah, I, we had a, a company wide meeting earlier today, as we do every Monday, and everybody was, the whole group was feeling pretty somber about it. So I wanted to yes. give Coach Chiesa a chance to to talk about it. Yeah, I hope I hope people always remember people like that yep. because they're pretty special.